What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. Another conversation with a content marketer that matters and is bringing it. And let me tell you something right now, everybody. Today's guest is certainly bringing it. I am joined by Jason Bradwell. Jason has been someone I've been following on Twitter for a long time. I enjoy his tweets, full of insight. He's all about serving his audience with killer content that really does a nice job of talking about how we can be better in B2B marketing. He's got a podcast, Better B2B. He's got an amazing newsletter and tons of knowledge and insight. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. If you like what I've been doing on the 3C Podcast, hit that subscribe button. Leave a review if you would be so kind. Remember, the juice is live. Go to thejuicehq.com, become a member, and join in that frictionless content experience. Enough with the plugs. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Jason. What is up? Welcome back. Thanks for joining the show. I'm really excited for this conversation today, I'm joined by Jason Bradwell. Jason is the host of the B2B Better podcast. He's got a nice little newsletter called the B2B Bite. He's someone I'm really excited to talk about just because when I got back and started working on the juice, first thing I did was go to Twitter and start figuring out who was sharing the me- a message that was similar to ours. And Jason was similar. Uh, we're certainly someone that continued to stand out in my feed so excited to talk with you today about just B2B marketing, the good, bad, and the ugly. But without further ado, how are you doing today, Jason? Very well, Brett. Very, uh, very excited to be here. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's been really great to connect with you over the last couple of weeks and, you know, just on everything we've been talking about before we started recording, you know, B2B marketing is undergoing a transformational change uh, in terms of what it's all about and, and how buyers are discovering and finding new companies. And, you know, I think you and I are pretty aligned on on what brands need to do to to meet them where they're at. So I'm really excited to dig into this with you. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm I'm pumped too. And maybe before we start, maybe let's just touch on Twitter. I know you're you're someone who's really active and you've got a, a, a nice following. You're engaged in conversations. There's I think you know, in talking with people and observing so many people want to like have influence and want to share their opinions and thoughts on Twitter, which is great. Like it's a great place to network. It's a great place to connect. I think you're someone in the space that is doing it really well. And a lot of people can learn from maybe just your platform on Twitter. Like how do you approach it? How do you think about it? Because I think there's a lot of good takeaways that people um, could gather from, from maybe what you're about to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I I got back into Twitter after a long, long hiatus uh, at the beginning of last year, really at the kind of start of the pandemic, when just like a lot of people, I was you know sat at home at the end of the day after after clocking off and and thinking about what I was going to do to fill the time. Um, and you know, I was really active on Twitter at the beginning of my career when I was a journalist um, reporting on kind of the the online video streaming space. But then after I kind of left that that life and moved into marketing, I just kind of let it fall by the wayside. And I, to be honest, I'd kind of written off as a platform. I just, you know, like uh, it became very political, very politicized, and I, I just never really got much much out of it. But then I think like many people at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, looking for that community that I was no longer getting from going into the office, going to trade shows, conferences, what have you, um, I, I returned to the platform. And when I started, 
you know, you look at some of these quote unquote, you know, thought leaders and, and influencers and you, I think it's natural for, for people just starting out to want to try and emulate them, right? You see the big follow accounts and you think, oh, I want to, I want a bit of that. And I want to share my expertise. I want people to hear what I want to say. And, you know, to be honest, at the beginning, I was just presenting a watered down version of other people's um, voice. And uh, I, I just realized, you know, that that's, you know, that's just not what people are here for. You know, if they want to hear from that person, they'll follow that person. You know, what's, what can I say that's unique? And, and from my experience, it's going to resonate with people. And, you know, my background has always been building up marketing teams and marketing strategies from, from the ground up in startup environments and, and otherwise, and trying to do it in a way that doesn't fall into kind of like the conventional B2B marketing tropes of just throwing a 10 grand check at a, at a media partner and then putting their logo on, on, on a couple of slides that they're sending out to their database and calling it a day. I wanted to do something that was actually you know, interesting and more in line with how B2B buyers are engaging today um, with brands. So, you know, once I kind of started, you know, doubling down on, on that kind of niche, you know, my expertise and doing so in a way that was just authentic to me, just speaking as I would do if I was sharing a beer with, beer with you uh, at, at a bar, you know, that's when things really, really started to click. And, uh, you know, to be honest, nowadays, I don't, sounds cliche, but I don't really like look at the follow account and, you know, look at how many likes and, and retweets and stuff that I'm getting on the post. I've had some of the best relationships. Um, I've gotten some of the best relationships out of Twitter that I've had, you know, at any point during my professional life. And it really just comes down to, you know, just engaging with people on a, on a personal level, you know, DMs are your best friend. That's, that's what I'd say. I love that. A lot of good nuggets there. <clears throat> Certainly an account, someone, I agree, be an individual, be yourself. Don't, don't pull from other people. Like everyone's got unique thoughts and interesting thoughts on the space and just continue to be consistent. And that's what I see on your account every day. I want to talk about your kind of your platform and your purpose. Before I do that, before we got on, I was checking out your stuff. I've been to your pages and looking at it. And the one thing that just hit me hard when I was looking at your, your newsletter through Substack is that you've, like everyone's familiar with Substack, but you've got the you hear, go ahead, opt in, put your email in, or like before you do that, you can take a chance and click the link and go read it yourself and then make the decision. That might not seem like a, a big deal, like giving people the options, but to me as a marketer and someone who's spending every day dedicated to try to push B2B marketing forward, like something as subtle and little as that where you're saying to your audience or prospective audience, hey, I'm not just trying to grab your email and spam you a bunch, but go ahead and take a sneak peek and go look at what the content I'm producing and make the decision if it's for you or not. Like that to me is like, uh, it's small and subtle, but a sign of, uh, how we should be thinking about approaching our audience is, is, was that something that you were being mindful of or did it just kind of happen? You know, look, I can't, I can't quite remember when I was setting up Substack whether that was a default option or something I necessarily had a, had a choice to, to implement. But, you know, to me, it really just talks to, you know, my wider ethos as an individual creator and, and that of, you know, looking at it from a B2B, you know, company's perspective. If you are just throwing up an email capture registration wall in front of all the value that you're creating, you're going to turn a lot of people off. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. And, 
the key to this game is just delivering value and, and demonstrating your authority and showing that you know what you talk about. And to be honest, I would rather sacrifice, you know, the potential loss of a couple of email addresses from people um, who, you know, do check out my stuff and actually figure out that it's not maybe not for them right now than I would do in, you know, th- making it harder for, for people to consume my content. Uh, I think anything you're doing to make things more difficult considering how much noise there is out there and how much competition as a content creator you're up against to capture attention, um, you're really fighting against the tide. So to answer your question, I can't remember if it was a conscious choice or not, but if it was, it's something that I would have, I would have made anyway. I, I love it. I, I want to dig into like just the background on your platform, but before we do something you said there stood out to me and you're saying sacrificing some emails. Well, B2B marketing, what we're told to do is get as many emails as possible. And there's this wrestling of we're, we're in the volume game. We're trying to get quantity. I think the tide might be shifting a little bit where it's now, let's not necessarily focus on quantity, but let's focus on quality and having good, real, authentic conversations one-to-one. And instead of like casting a wide net, like be very strategic with the people that we're trying to add value benefit and then eventually get over to our sales team. So I guess with that, like quantity versus quality, it's something that I think more progressive B2B marketers and maybe more experienced B2B marketers who understand the consumer side and how things are moving are kind of moving more towards this quality over quantity. But then again, there's still KPIs, there's still bosses and there's still people measuring themselves on lead volume. So like, how, how do you think about those two uh, dynamics? Because I know it's a big piece of B2B marketing right now. And, it, and in, to me and where I'm sitting at and having conversations, it's causing a little bit of a divide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I think this, this mindset of we're in the game of, of, of quantity and just kind of, you know, filling this kind of like top of the funnel with, with leads and names that our sales team can then kind of go on their merry way and, and spam after death is, is perhaps, you know, the intersection of, of where we're at as B2B marketers that I'm most interested in. Because just like you said, I think the, the tides are shifting away from, you know, for the progressive B2B brands out there, they're moving away from, let's just create a list with as many names on there as possible to, you know, let's sacrifice the, the, the number and focus on, depending on the size of your business, you know, the 2,200 or 20 even names that actually are demonstrating that they have the demand and the intent to buy our product right now, because you're going to convert far more of them. And the ratio is going to work a lot more in your favor than you are than if you generate a list of 200,000 names for your sales team and 0.02% of them actually convert. You're just wasting your time in terms of collecting those email addresses. You're collecting your sales team's time in terms, you're wasting, sorry, your sales team's time in terms of sifting through all of those names and reaching out to them perhaps on a one-on-one basis. There's nothing to say that those, you know, all those names that you're capturing may not have kind of demand and you know intend to buy at some point in the future but I, you know i think particularly in b2b companies where teams are small resources are tight you know budgets are somewhat thin and you've really got to get the biggest bang for your buck you know f- absolutely you got to focus on the quality because uh, you know otherwise you're just you're just wasting time so nails on the chalkboard to me and 
it's nails on the chalkboard to me because I felt it as a marketer. I felt the breathing down the neck. I felt it from leaders of marketing. I felt it from leaders of sales teams. And they say these words and these words make me cringe now, but the words are, we need more leads. We need more leads. And you're the, and as the marketer, you're sitting there like, what does that mean? Does that like, you want more of what? Like there's so much to unpack there. And I know there's probably a lot of people who are listening to this show who have been in a similar spot where a boss or a sales leader or someone has come to them and say, we need more leads. Like if someone were to say that to you right now, how, how would you go about addressing it in a way that aligns with the way you operate as a B2B marketer? I think it kind of goes back to a understanding across both you know, marketing, sales, and leadership as to what the function of marketing actually is, right? I think it's a conversation that, you know, ideally, if you're in a startup, you're having very early on, you know, what is it actually that we want marketing to deliver for us, like tangibly? What's actually going to, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to use kind of cliches, but what's going to move the needle? Because if what you're interested in is vanity metrics, it is very simple to go out there and cut a check to a media organization who has a database of kind of 45, 50, 60,000 followers and, you know, get exposure to that list, throw a piece of content to them and, and get a, a bunch of names into, into, uh, into your salespeople's hands. But like I said, you know, ultimately if none of them convert to buy, sure, you will felt good for a little while, but it actually hasn't had any kind of meaningful result for the business. So wouldn't it make more sense instead for us to invest you know, in building a kind of content marketing, community building, social media driven kind of program that we're putting a lot of hard work in upfront to, 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 to build that audience that we then own, right? That, that we own them across our channels. There's no middle person that we're having to cut a check to every time we want exposure to. You know, we're delivering them value and they recognize that, that we're delivering them value and that they're coming to us. So that at that point, when they are ready to buy, you know, we're in a position to deliver that sales team um, high intent uh, leads that actually stand a better chance of conversion. It's a very difficult conversation to have when you are an established business and marketing and sales have existed in kind of silos for a period of time. And that expectation has kind of really already deep rooted itself in the mindsets of, of all these kind of people collectively of, you know, here's where the marketing journey begins and ends. And then here's where the sales journey begins and ends. I would say that the earlier you can have that conversation around, you know, what does that kind of customer journey look like? You know, not the marketing journey, the, the, the sales journey, the customer journey, because that's what it is for your customer, right? It's just, they have one experience with you as a brand and they don't care when, you know, your, their name is being handed over from one person to the next in your business. You know, what does that customer journey look like and how can we deliver, you know, value at all the different points and touch points of that journey? You, you know, you stand to ultimately get a bit better result uh, off the back of it. So really, it's just an early conversation and making sure that everyone's aligned on exactly what it is that, you know, marketing's there to deliver. I love it. My takeaways, be proactive, have the conversation internally. Don't necessarily get sucked into the short game. There's a long game. And then when you're building your process and working with your sales team, don't think about it from the lens of this is what's best for us and our team. 
but it's from the lens of this is what's best for our customers and how they're going to experience and be impacted by our brand. Tons of good stuff there. I, I, I could go on these topics forever, but I want, I want to get some understanding about your, your background, your side hustle, you starting the podcast newsletter, like where did this come from? Like, what's the origin story? Like, what was the catalyst for you starting what you're doing and how you got my attention? And I'm sure many others. Well, there's just a lot of rubbish out there, isn't there? Really, <laughs> When it comes to B2B marketing, you know, there's just, uh, you know, I, I just remember like at the one of the last trade shows I went to, I was just kind of walking through the hall just, you know, looking at the other booths of our competitors and us you know, and, and contemporaries. And I was just thinking, wow, everything just kind of like looks the same, you know, it's all kind of gray blue and everyone's kind of using the same language, like market leading and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, then you go on their social media profiles and it's all the same kind of, you know, handshake kind of light bulb stock imagery. And, and I was just thinking like, you know, there's got to be this this can't be it, you know. The, the, there's got to there's got to be more to this because we're doing more than this, right? Like the brands I've worked with, we're, we're doing better than this. And um, I haven't got any formal marketing education, right? Like I went to uni and studied acting, and I just kind of you know like a lot of a lot of marketers that I've spoken to just kind of fell into this beautiful career by chance. So yeah, the, you know the origin really of it was just a desire to help B two B companies do better marketing and stop seeing them kind of spank a lot of cash on tactics that just don't work anymore. Buyer, B2B buyer behavior is changing, right? Part of that is because a greater proportion of millennials are making up the B2B buying population, right? I think I read a stat the other day that said like 75% or so of 21 to 40-year-olds are invi- involved in the buying decisions of their companies. So just using like that fact alone, how do 21 to 40-year-olds buy products? Well, you know, on your phone, on their phone, right? They're on Instagram, they're on TikTok. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, you know, they're on social media. That's that's where they're doing their research. That's where they're they're learning about new trends. And there's nothing to say that they can't learn about products and services that are going to help them be better at their jobs also on those platforms, right? So yeah, you know, that was kind of the origin of it, really. It's just to, you know, how how can I help B2B companies do better marketing, stop spending money on tactics and channels that just don't work or at least don't work in isolation anymore and you know really kind of begin to kind of capitalize on this accelerating trend of of who b2b buyers are and how they're researching and discovering new products and services uh, and also breaking it down in a really simple way like there's a lot of theoretical content out there I hope it comes through with my newsletter and my podcast I really focus on the practical stuff like literally how do I set up an employee advocacy program like what are the seven steps that will help me get there? you know, that, that's what I wanted to focus on. It's, it's really good. Um, there's so much you said there that I want to react to. Maybe I'll pull this one. So I love how you discuss or described the age gap and, you know, the, you know, the statistic, which I'm sure we'll look up and we can plug it in so people can look at that. But I think about this all the time. I think about the younger, smarter generation of B2B marketers that are coming in and I think about when I was their age, certainly not smarter. There's a lot more young people. <laughs> and I fell into it too, man. I fell right into it. But I, th- I thought like I was taught like in B2B marketing, we do, we optimize keywords. So people come and find us and we get them in. And then we've got to create these forms 
then they got to fill out the information. And then we work with the sales team on this qualification process. And so I'm thinking about like this, this B2, this way to do B2B marketing. And that's, that's what I was raised in. That's what my bosses were successful in. And that's just what we did. But now I think about everyone coming through now and you're right. It's like people are being influenced by people on Twitter. People are getting hit with ads of stuff that they like on Instagram. People are on TikTok um, and stuff catches their attention. And then to buy this stuff, all they'd have to do is hit a link. Don't talk to anyone. And there it is on their doorstep two days later. So this like frictionless experience that a lot us, me, you, everyone is going through, there's change happening. And I think some companies are adapting to the change and saying, you know what, the stuff we did, you know, three years ago is probably outdated, but then there's a lot of companies that are still just keep, they're keeping doing it not adapting to the changes. So I guess like change is difficult. It's not easy, especially when bosses and their bosses have been successful doing the same thing for the last decade. But how, how do you, how do you think, or how do you coach companies up on maybe like, things to do to maybe address some of these shifts and changes because it's, it's what I'm thinking about all the time in my role. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I'd say like the, the first question I'd probably ask is, is it still working, right? Are, are you still seeing the same kind of numbers? Are you happy with the numbers that you're still getting from the tactics that you're still employing from, from a few years ago? Because if you are great, like, you know, milk it for all, it, all all you can get out of it. You know, you probably want some exposure to something a little bit new so you can kind of get ahead of, uh, kind of any 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 shift in in your buyer's behavior because it's not you know B two B is not like a blanket term right you know there are some industries like especially with SaaS products where things are accelerating far quicker um, in terms of how buyers buyers are discovering and, and and purchasing new products and then when you're talking kind of like big enterprise you know B two B solutions even outside of kind of technology um, and, and and internet internet based products you know things maybe are still a little bit further behind they will change eventually but you know maybe you can afford to spend a little bit more time you know doing you know a, a PR a traditional PR focused strategy for example you know for me it all comes back to what is it that you're measuring here that actually shows you that marketing is having an impact on the on the on the business in a way that you want it to have that impact. Um, I think it does come down to you know a fear of unable of being unable to kind of attribute the the the, the strategy that you're you're deploying in order to reach your customers. You know, again, it's it's very easy as I keep saying, like to cut a check to someone and say, well, that bought us a hundred thousand impressions, right? Um, or to just you know throw ads at people on LinkedIn until you get a high enough conversion rate, you know, click-through rate. Um, uh, so these things that we're talking about, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, word of mouth to, to a point, kind of podcasts, um, you know, these things are much harder to draw, particularly over long sales cycles, which is my background, right? Like my background is working with, working with companies that have anything from a three-month to a three-year sales cycle. You know, when you start talking podcast, Twitter, social media, community building, all that kind of stuff, it becomes a, a difficult, a difficult, um, uh, it's a difficult thing to track. You know, where that person is coming into your ecosystem, how they're learning and engaging with your brand, and ultimately then converting into a sale. And that's why that metric is so important to get right up front and aligned on with your leadership and your sales team. Because if you stop measuring things like number of leads and you start measuring 
uh, revenue that's been that's been influenced by marketing, not even necessarily sourced by marketing, but influenced by marketing, then you're going to be able to then all the other stuff you don't have to, you don't have to care about, right? Like it doesn't matter how many impressions you're getting, it doesn't matter how much money you spent on you know producing a podcast uh, that only got a thousand views or thousand listens, I should say, if you're able to attribute you know revenue to marketing. At the very bottom um, of of that funnel, so yeah, it's just getting aligned on what is it you're exactly measuring, and just keeping it simple. That's really good. I like to I keep men- mentioning this on the podcast, but I like to refer to it as attribution intoxication. It seems like we all get muddied and slowed down by looking at dashboards and analytics and trying to figure it out. But like what you're recommending is just get aligned with your your sales team and just figure out what matters and start talking and reporting of reporting on that. And I, I think just my opinion is like, I'm, I'm fortunate because I, I, I don't know if I'm fortunate in this situation. I think I am because I don't really have the, the mindset to go crunch the numbers and look at analytics every day. It, it gets my eyes crossed, but what I do like to do is try new things, test and ship. And I think that trying new things, testing, figuring out what works for your business and refining, and then taking those learnings back to you know, your sales team or other marketing stakeholders and figuring out like, this is what we need to optimize around because this is what's working and what's not is, is important for marketing teams that are trying to transition from like the old way to do doing things to, to the new way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we as marketers don't give ourselves, don't give our, our instincts enough credit. Like, to be honest, I, I think that we've, we have gone way too far uh, on on the spectrum to just wanting to kind of measure and attribute every single dollar of spend to a result that discounts things like word of mouth, like for instance, you know. So if 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 you know the markets that I've that I've worked in and the industry and the companies I've worked for, you're just as likely to get a business opportunity from one of your current customers picking up the phone. And answering a few questions from a prospective customer on why they should be working with that brand, as you are from you know buying a big booth at a trade show and giving them a demo on the live floor. So because we're you know some because we've fallen too far on the other side of of kind of wanting to measure and attribute every single activity, we we're doing our instincts a, a disservice. You know, as marketers, we're storytellers, and we know that if we're if we're putting out great content. And we're delivering educational, entertaining, and engaging value to our audiences. It will pay dividends, and we just, as businesses and marketers, just need to have that that trust uh, that it's going to pay off. And as long as you're measuring the at the end revenue that's being influenced by marketing, it doesn't matter how you got there. It just matters that you got there. Um, in my view, anyway. I love that, and you you just mentioned a word that I would want to hit on, and that's trust. I think building and develop. We, we are as marketers in B2B are in the trust development and building game. Like that's how I think about it. I think about the, the tactics and the things that I'm doing content that I'm creating at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I want to build trust with the audience or people who are taking 15 minutes out of the day, 30 minutes out of the day to read my newsletter or listen to a podcast. So like it's trust building for me. I'd love to get your insight on just like, building and earning trust, like things that you think work. And I don't know if there's anything that you don't necessarily think works, but like what, what have you seen as, as good things to stay consistent with to earn trust in the marketplace? 
I just think it bought, I, I don't think there's any kind of like secret formula to it other than just consistently delivering value. Like that's, I think, you know, sometimes again, as marketers, we have a tendency to try and overcomplicate things. And, you know, some of these, uh, some of these thought leaders you see on Twitter are great at this, you know, making it out into this kind of nine step kind of framework or program that you can follow and, and it's going to solve all your problems. Really for me, it just boils down to consistently delivered value, you know, and that is content, right? Can you create content and deliver content consistently to your audience that's going to help them do a better job, right? HubSpot are amazing at this. They're, they're an easy example to point to because they are just so good at it. You could consume HubSpot, HubSpot content for years and take part in their academy, academy program, watch their webinars, go to their events, and get all this free information that makes you a better marketer, sales professional, customer service professional, without ever signing a check to HubSpot and giving them anything in return. But you are damn well sure that the day that you are in a position where you need to make uh, a decision on what kind of marketing platform or CRM you, you're going to you know, bring on for your company, HubSpot is going to be on the list because they have just consistently showed up and delivered you value. That's all it that's all it comes down to. I think that is trust. I trust HubSpot when I'm when I and I am a hub, you know, I am a HubSpot customer. Um after years of consuming their content, I know that when I was when I was at that point of making the decision of who do I want to work with, they are a voice of authority. They understand my problems, they understand what I'm trying to achieve, and they have built a platform that will enable me to do that. If if I had never come across a HubSpot blog post or their community or their events or anything like that, would I have felt as strong affinity with them as a brand? Hell no. You know, I may have gone with them if, if they if they got a great salesperson and they've convinced me, twist my arm maybe, but the sale was pretty much done as before I even picked up the phone call to 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 inquire about pricing and stuff like that. I've I've written I've talked about it um, about my experiences with HubSpot and maybe Jason and Brett can do a whole podcast on the HubSpot experience because I, I <laughs> echo exactly what you have to say. They're experts at this, but maybe we close it out with, with this topic that I think is really, really important. And, you know, it's not new, it's not novel, but there's a lot of people buy from people and then buy from companies. People are meeting each other on Twitter. Like we have people are meeting each other on Slack groups, communities, building relationships, podcasting with each other. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what does your company do? And you find out and you say, okay, well, actually we might have a need for that. And then because the relationship is developed with, with an individual, then you're interested in what their company might um, be offering. So, so now people are, I guess, the no matter your role, you're the number one frontline of the company, you're the, you're carrying the message, you're the brand. And I think about that a lot. And I think about just all the people I have met so many people and I've met people first, and then I've learned about their, their companies. And then I get interested in what they have to offer. I love to just get your mindset on this. And to me, that seems like the biggest shift that's going on right now in B2B marketing. And so maybe like, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then two, if you think that's happening, like what should companies be doing to like equip or empower their people to 
kind of be their best marketers. Mm. I absolutely agree that employee advocacy is, you know, one of the most uh, powerful yet perhaps underutilized kind of marketing tactics for B2B brands out there, particularly in the early days, right? When you're a brand that has no kind of organic reach of note um, and you're trying to and you're trying to build that following from the ground up, why would you spend a lot of time just kind of throwing content into the void um, or, or posting into the void when undoubtedly you have a team of people who already have networks of hundreds, if not thousands? I, I read a stat. I'll, I'll send you a link. You know, your employees are going to be on average atta- uh, connected to ten times the amount of people that you as a brand are going to be. So any company not working to kind of leverage that is foolish in my, in my opinion, <laughs> because it's, it's a ready-made audience for you, you know, of people who potentially would be interested in buying your product. So, and, and you know, HubSpot, for example, they are a great, they are a great company, a great example of a company who uh, empower their employees to go out there and preach the gospel about their about their product and, and the kind of subject matter that their product uh, touches upon. So, what can B two B companies do to empower their workforce? I think the first thing to know is that you can't force anyone to do anything. So, when I say all of this, it's with the caveat that you now can't just go out and send an email to your company and say we're expecting to see two or three posts from you a day that talk about our brand. That's that's not what this is about. If someone wants to keep their personal and their professional lives separated, that is absolutely their prerogative, and you got to respect that. But I think the first thing you need to do is you need to make it clear that hey, we support this. You know, we support you to go out there and to be a voice. You know, in in the industry or in in whatever subject that you choose to be. I think a lot of a lot of B two B companies are perhaps fearful that in equipping and empowering their employees to go out there and talk. You know, they're potentially exposing themselves to kind of competitors who may want to poach them. You know, if you're a good enough company that you know has the right benefits and the right mission and purpose and is a place that people want to work, they will stay with you, right? It doesn't matter who, what competitors knock on their door from seeing a Twitter post or two, you know, if, if, if they believe in what you're doing, they're going to stick around. So yeah, it's, it's about giving that permission um, that this is okay. And it's about making sure that you're building a kind of a support framework around this initiative that feeds your employees with a consistent stream of content that they can choose to share um, and also guidance on, you know, how that content can be shared. I think some people, you know, with the best of intentions, want to go out there and they want to advocate for their business and you know be seen as a thought leader, but perhaps don't know where to start. So you know, it's not enough to just say this is okay, go out and do it. It's also about saying, you know, and here are some of the things that you possibly could share. You know, if you need any clarification on kind of what the party line is on on this subject or that subject, um, just to ensure that you know you're not a you're not if if you want to be consistent with what how we view things, then you know here, here's that information. Uh, and making sure that the that access to more information around how to make a success for themselves on social media is is available to them, and that usually means having someone in the team who's seen the marketing team who is seen as the point of contact for any uh, questions or queries about employee advocacy. So yeah, I mean, I've got a great uh, I've got a great blog post that I can share with you that kind of outlines a. Uh, a couple of steps that you may want to take when building an employee advocacy program. Um, but yeah, those are the main things. You can't force anyone to do anything, give permission and establish the framework and support that you're going to give to your employees. 
Amazing insights, a lot shared in this conversation. Everyone go follow Jason on Twitter, sign up for his newsletter, listen to the podcast. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Such a fun conversation. I know people out there are shaking their heads saying, yep, we should do this or yep, I've been thinking about this. So I appreciate you shining a light on a bunch of issues that are going on in the B2B marketing space right now. Really appreciate the time. This has been a lot of fun, Brett. It's a subject close to my heart and it's been great just, you know, connecting with you and and, and finding out we're so aligned on kind of what the future of B2B marketing looks like. So it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you. Take care. Cheers. I get so inspired when I talk to people like Jason. I love his message and what he is trying to do to push us all to be better B2B marketers. Make sure you subscribe to his newsletter, follow his podcast, follow him on Twitter, do whatever you can to get more Jason Bradwell. If you like what we've been doing, hit that subscribe button. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back with more 3C Podcast next week. Peace out.